Hi everyone and welcome back to Fast Charge in what has proven to be quite a busy week in the tech world. Uh, I am your host Dom as ever, joined this week by Toddy and Aniron. Usual style, Lewis couldn't make it this week as I'm afraid he has been jabbed. He had his second Pfizer jab yesterday and is reeling from the side effects. Please don't take that as an indication that you shouldn't get jabbed, get a vaccine, because Toddy has a stronger, healthier, finer immune system than Lewis. <laughs> Got his second jab at the same time. And look at him, fit as a fiddle, raring to go. Gonna... Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I feel 1,000%. I'm definitely not going to just fall on the floor once we finish uh-huh, the stream. Uh-huh. Very healthy. Good. Uh, let, let's get to it then. Let's see how long Toddy lasts before the uh, exactly. <laughs> vaccine side effects kick in in earnest. Uh yeah, cause us to keep on time this, <laughs> exactly. this week. Exactly, and we're going to need to because we have so much to talk about that we are going to have to be quite efficient as we move through these topics because we've had three enormous tech launches this week. Uh, well, at least w- two enormous ones, one that's also there. Uh, first up, uh, <laughs> not in their chronological order, but in the order we're going to tackle it, Samsung held its uh, August Galaxy Unpacked event, giving us, as expected, two new foldable phones, two new smartwatches, and a set of earbuds. So we're going to run through all of those with a focus on the phones. Uh, the day before, Xiaomi held its own event where it announced its own smartphone, the Mi Mix 4, along with a range of tablets, the Mi Pad 5 series, and a a dog, a, a robot dog, for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had a... Uh, along with a couple other bits, but uh, sort of like a smart speaker and stuff like that that we're going to uh, move swiftly past. Uh, and then finally, just today, a few hours ago, Honor held its launch event for the Honor Magic 3 series, uh, which, if you're not keeping track, are what Honor is calling its first flagship phone since it became an independent company. Uh, that feels a little mean to the Honor 50, which at the time was sort of billed as a flagship as well, but now they're just calling it a mid-ranger and asserting that the Magics are the flagship phone. So we have our first Honor flagships as an independent company that will ship globally with Google. Before that, let's run through everything else that's happened this week. Uh, First up, also on a Google note, uh, last week, shortly after we aired the show, John Prosser leaked a few Pixel 5a details. These are leaks, so as ever, take them with a pinch of salt. But he claimed that the 5a 5G, the new mid-ranger from the Pixel series, is going to launch on the 26th of August, so later this month. And that in the state, it's going to cost $450 and will come in but one colour, mostly black. Uh, All of these are kind of indications of this limited launch Google is doing. We already know from Google that it's basically only going to ship these phones in the US and Japan. Uh, We've also seen now there seems to be a single price and a single colorway, if John Prosser is anything to go by. And even more so, he says it will only be be available online and in physical Google retail stores, of which there is one. It's in New York, and they only opened it a few weeks ago. Uh, So basically, this is a phone that's going to launch in two countries, in one color, in one skew, that you can only buy direct from Google, from the sounds of it. Uh, I don't think they're expecting to be a chart popper. I don't know. The more we hear, the more it sounds like they just might as well have just killed it. It feels like they must have been far enough through the process. They, They felt kind of committed. I don't know. Yeah, we touched on the strange timing last week, didn't we, with the Pixel 6 stuff as well? Or whenever it was Pixel 6 we talked about. Exactly, that it's felt very weird. It's going to feel like an odd phone because everything we've seen from the design of the specs leaks is a phone that looks almost exactly like the 4A 5G from last year. So it will look very similar to a year-old phone, specs very similar to a year-old phone. It will probably still be a decent mid-ranger for the US market. So this isn't us throwing the phone under the bus. It's probably going to be a 
pretty solid offering. Uh, but coming after, we already know that the Pixel 6 is reinventing the whole design language. Um, coming, you know, just before Android 12 also reinvents the design language. It's going to feel like this weird <laughs> kind of last gasp of the old Pixel line. And even more so because they're not even bothering to release it in, in more than two markets and in more than a very limited fashion. Uh, so a little bit of an odd one. In brighter Google news, though, uh, last night, the Android 12 Beta 4 started rolling out to Pixel devices and select others. Don't get too excited if you're a beta user looking forward to a new version. I don't think there is a single new feature added into this, but this is what Google is calling the final compatibility version of the OS. So basically, this is a sign that Android 12 as is is basically done and dusted and it's ready to be rolled out in its final form within the next month or two which is a good sign and especially gives us little hints as to when the actual Pixel 6 launch might be because they are probably going to go hand in hand. We also have some slightly unexpected WhatsApp news from last night uh, from the Samsung event. We'll talk about the Samsung event in a bit, obviously. Uh, but one of the stranger announcements was that WhatsApp is using Samsung as the vehicle to debut its new feature that lets you transfer chat backups between iOS and Android. So the way Samsung is involved is that this will first be available on Samsung devices as a way to transfer from iOS to a Samsung phone, starting with the new foldables, the Flip 3 and the Fold 3, which obviously Samsung is just marketing as a push for, you know, one more reason to ditch ditch your iPhone and buy a foldable Samsung phone because now you can take your WhatsApp chat back up with you, which you couldn't before. Um, which, a it's a small pitch that's a very niche sell. Um, it appeals to me as a reviewer who changes phones a lot. And moving between Androids, I carry my WhatsApp back up with me. And every time I move to an iPhone, I lose it and lose it when I go back. But uh, there aren't very many tech reviews in the world. And we don't make up a huge portion of the sales figures, I suspect. Yeah, for me, this is a huge deal. I'm very <laughs> excited because that has been like the main reason I have never been able to like main an iPhone for mm -hmm. yeah, however long now. Mm. Um, the other thing like, with the relationship as it stands, I don't know why, you know, I know Google's just invested in, in Tensor and all this stuff. But at this point, just make Samsung your hardware partner for Android and release a Google Play edition and be done with it. Stop trying to make pixels like they, they are already so wrapped up in like samsung's totally world. i mean one, one so of the smaller little leaks we had this week that I, I didn't didn't include in this section uh, as a main topic but it looks like tensor is just an unreleased exynos there's a specific exynos model yes. that everyone has managed to match up tensor to so it really looks for all the world like for all the talk of this being a you know custom google chip it looks like it's a samsung chip with uh, google giving some sort of you know design feedback along the way and stuff like that but yeah they are they are very closely closely linked now uh but yes this whatsapp feature starting with ios to android but only samsung then it will be broadly ios to android transfers and at some point android back to ios is also gonna roll out as well though it's the timetable on all of this is a little unclear but it should be one of the last few little hurdles between moving between os's which is nice uh what else have we got MediaTek unveiled a couple of new mid-range chipsets. Yeah. Very exciting. The Dimensity 810 and Dimensity 920. They are both 6 nanometer chips with 5G, but they're very much mid-range in terms of the camera features they support, though they go up to 120 hertz refresh rate. So should power solid mid-range phones. They say we're going to see the first phones with these in 
in the next few months and already Realme is teasing that it's uh, working on something with the 810 asking its fans on social media if they want to see Realme be the first brand to make a Dimensity 810 phone if it wasn't Realme it'd be it's one of the two it's just a coin flip (laughs) who gets there first really yeah uh, and then the final bit of news, this is one of those annoying ones that I think came out right as we were running the show last week, so we missed it. And if not, we you know, missed it by an hour or two, something like that. But uh, Oppo has unveiled the latest version of its under-display camera tech. Uh, there's a hands-on video by a, a Chinese influencer that made its way into Weibo and now, and now YouTube since, but it is an official deal. So we've had a very good look at this under-display camera from Oppo, which looks really, really impressive, to be honest, in that it is very, very hard to see the camera as they move the phone around. Um, so if that's the real deal, then Oppo's got this tech pretty much working as intended, though we don't yet know what phone they're going to put it in. Feels like a safe bet the Find X4 Pro might feature it, which would be sort of January, February next year, we'd expect to see that. So that might be what they have in mind. But this... Unless they go the Viva route and they don't put it in a flagship first and foremost in terms of... Exactly. The other option is we see it in something more mid-range to acknowledge that it's still work in progress tech. Um, Yeah. Maybe Reno. But obviously that is not the approach we've seen taken just this week by both Xiaomi and Samsung, who have also unveiled their under-display cameras in two of their new flagship phones this week. And it is in both of their absolute most expensive devices, or at least in Xiaomi, it's close to their most expensive. Uh, So they've gone full-on flagship. And as we go on today, we're going to break down who has done better out of that. Let's start with all things Samsung. Galaxy Unpacked was yesterday. As already mentioned, we've got two phones, two watches, and a pair of headphones. Uh, what we didn't get, in case you were expecting them, were either the Tab S8 tablets or the S21 FE, uh, the sort of cheaper version of the S21 flagships. We're still expecting both of those later this year, maybe, probably, but we're not sure exactly. Uh, we also didn't get the Note 21, if you haven't been paying attention, the Note 21 doesn't exist. There may be a Note 22, but it doesn't look very likely at this point. I think notes are done, folds have replaced them. Uh, let's run through everything, and we are going to have to be really, really efficient with this, given the volume of hardware. Efficient is a good way of, okay. yes. Let's start with the big daddy. Let's start with the Fold 3. Uh, because it has that under-display camera, and because it is the phone I mentioned that is replacing the Note, because it has S Pen stylus support as well. Uh, so the broad, I guess, summary of what Samsung's done with the Z Fold 3 is they've kept the design pretty much the same. They've spruced up the processor, but left things like camera, charging, and battery specs basically untouched from last year's model. They've improved durability and added waterproofing. And then they've added that under-display camera and this S Pen stylus support, uh, all while dropping the price by £200 or $200 or €200. I think it's the same, whichever currency you want to go for. Uh, Toddy, does this make the Fold Hmm. 3 look more compelling than the Fold 2 did last year? Uh, I'd say so, yeah. I mean, obviously, we're still talking like over a thousand if for any device in kind of like fitting in your pocket. It's kind of crazy. But um, as the foldable market stands, I'd say the closest competitor, because we haven't really seen much of the Mi Mix Fold, is is Huawei's phone, which is over 2,000 euros, pounds, if memory serves. So the value for money proposition, you know, increasing the chipset, like... Stuff like waterproofing genuinely did surprise me. I was not expecting them to be able to pull that off in a folding no. device. 
that is insane. It, it is explicitly IP x8 which means that it still has no dust resistance so if you've got really dust don't take mm-hmm. it to the beach don't like don't use it in a sandstorm but the fact that it can get wet even a, a little bit i think is really impressive um so yeah value for money i think it is the best foldable uh let's say the best book style yep. foldable if you will um out there right now and yeah they've, they've handily addressed some of the kind of pain points of last year's phone i love the new camera design on the back uh, the front screen, the cover display is now 120 hertz, which is I yes, think a thing yeah, that's a, lot a welcome change mentioned as well. Um, and yeah, and it's our first kind of take on on Samsung trying their hand at an under display camera in a mobile device, which is cool. Yeah, I'm less enamored by the under display camera. I'll be honest. For sure, for sure. <laughs> so we yeah. both got to go to the event to see it, and on a white screen particularly, it's pretty poor It's looking. not great. Uh, yeah, we got to try this thing hands-on at Samsung KX in London, and when it's on a black background, and if you say use the phone in dark mode, it is quite hard to spot. But the funny thing about that, that's also the case for a punch hole camera, because the camera's black. So if you put it on a black background, it was always difficult to spot. Um, the headache here is that as soon as you put it on a bright background, as Toddy said, anything white, so once you go into settings menus and things like that, uh, it is really, really obvious. You can see the 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 individual pixels in sort of an octagonal grid layout over where the camera is it looks very similar to me to the first gen zte axon 20 tech from last year which was uh, showed you a, a square rather than an octagon the octagon makes it slightly better but really it's, it's still very obvious that it's there for me I, I don't like this because it's actually it's more distracting than the punch hole camera would have been and so this halfway house tech, and I get it, it's work in progress tech. There's got to be a bad first gen before you get the good second gen. But this version that they've got here feels to me like a step backwards from what they had before. Because it's just more distracting because it keeps changing color with other things. And it's harder for your mind to just ignore because it's not just black. It's this kind of odd section of oddly shaped bright lights glaring at you. This actually looks brighter than the screen around it somehow. Mm. I'd argue that they'd done enough other improvements to the Fold 3 over the Fold 2 to have omitted an under-display camera totally. on this particular device and wait until their version of that tech right, imagine, imagine the the Z Fold 3 with S Pen support, with waterproofing, with the Snapdragon 888, even keep the cameras the same as last year, swap out, yeah. keep the under-display camera for, you know, a punch-hole camera like it was last year, but take another 100 off yeah. the price tag. So suddenly it's a yeah. 300 wow. cut from last year, but we don't have this silly under-display camera. And suddenly it's basically the same price as the Ultra. It's it's no longer this absurd premium device. It's just a normal premium device. It's still expensive, but, you, you, you know... You did, yeah, you did also mention that they have now also added in s Pen support, which is like, you know, nail in the coffin for the Note. Totally. Like, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah as well as another kind of they, they they did a lot with the the interior screen there's a lot riding on that screen like performing yeah. like with the under camera with the water resistance with the the new s pen support all of this stuff there is one odd I mean, the oh, s pen oh, no, Aaron, go. Sorry. sorry i was just saying the s pen to me makes a lot more sense i know it's a small tablet even when it's unfolded mm. but it still feels like using a stylus on this compared to like the note when i was trying it was, it was always quite fiddly and now it feels like it'll genuinely be useful on a device like this totally yeah, so rarely did I use, when, when I've reviewed notes, I, I've enjoyed having the option of the S yeah, but the it. actual use cases is few and far between at the best of times, whereas I think you're just more likely to want to... 
I think even just the notion of like uh, moving content between apps and multitasking in real time on that yep. larger display, yes, the S Pen is really powerful for that um, because it gives you that precision that you can't necessarily get with a finger on what is still admittedly a small tablet screen if you want mm. to look at it like that. So yeah, I think it's 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 the best marrying of those two techs within Samsung's phone portfolio oh. to date. There say. are a few little, I don't know, headaches about the S Pen experience that I think are worth highlighting for people who are excited by this. One, you can't use any S Pen. If you already own an S Pen, you will not be able to use it with the Fold 3. You'll have to buy a new one. This only supports the new S Pen Fold Edition and the new S Pen Pro. That's because they both have retractable nibs, which can sort of alleviate the pressure a little bit to help protect the display. So if you're thinking, great, I've already got an S Pen from my old note, like think again, you're still going to have to buy a new one to go with this. Hmm. Uh, second thing, the implementation is like the S21 Ultra. It doesn't slot into the phone and it's not sold with the phone. You will have to buy it separately and you'll have to buy uh, an official or compatible third-party case that has the slot for the stylus or just carry it around. And then the final thing to note that I didn't realize uh, during my hands-on session, I didn't play around with it, but realized afterwards, it's only supported on the internal folding screen. There's no S Pen support on the external ah. cover display, which seems to me a weird omission because I can't really see why they haven't done that. And to be fair, the big screen is the one where it matters more. As we've said, having that big tablet screen is where you're really going to get the benefit of that stylus. But it is a small oddity that if you close the phone to use the outside outside display, you'll have to put the stylus away and go back to using your fingers. Knowing that one of the features I loved uh, was when they introduced the like the ability to quickly jot a note down on the always on display yes. like without having to yeah. wake or unlock the phone up. Which is what you would do on the outer screen yes. on the phone. So that's not so there. the fact that's not an option yeah. is quite so annoying. It, <laughs> Actually, now I know that it is a little uh, bit weirdly uh, limited. Um, <laughs> it's also worth flagging on the question of will there be another note because obviously this is you know hugely related to that question. There was a statement that Samsung put out the other day saying that they are not willing to talk about specific products, but they are committed to expanding the Note experience across the Galaxy ecosystem, or words to that effect. But the key bit was the Note experience. Um, I think this is important because one of the pre-order bonuses for buying the Z Fold 3 is what they are calling the Note Pack, which is the S Pen, mm. a case, and a charger, because chargers don't come with a phone. But suddenly when you're like, oh, the Note Pack is the S Pen and a case, and the Note experience is what they're going to uh, expand across the ecosystem. That sounds to me like Note is no longer a brand for phones. Note is a brand for yeah. a productivity and stylus-based set of features. Experience. Yeah. I, I, I would, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of uh, holding out hope that this means that maybe next year, when they're feeling really confident about the Fold hardware, which this seems like mm -hmm. a really confident entry in the Fold series, that they can maybe revise the name so we don't have Z Fold 3 and we just have the Fold Note or the Note Fold. Maybe that would just be a more concise way of conveying what this product is. Very excited for them to just drop the Z at some point. Yeah. It's not doing anything. <laughs> I feel like we bitch about <laughs> phone names every week at this point, but there's so many bad ones out there. It's just such an odd little unnecessary thing. The Galaxy Fold would, would sell you just as well on what the product is as would Galaxy Flip. Yeah. It's really not clear what the uh, what the Z is doing to tie these things together. And it's definitely going to hamstring them once they want to expand into more form factors and start to have internal debates. Well, does a rollable fit into Z or do we need a new letter for rollables that's not foldables <laughs> and, and things like that? <clears throat> uh, 
Okay, that was about 10 yeah, minutes on so the fold. Flip. Let's talk about the flip. Flip to the flip. Uh, <laughs> if we are a little hesitant about the fold, I think it's fair to say that I at least am fully sold on the Z Flip 3. Um, that is maybe not going to be too surprising to fans of the show, but yeah, I really love this phone. So this has had, in a way, smaller changes and in another way, bigger changes than the fold. Um, specs have changed much less. Features have changed much less. There is a bump to the uh, Snapdragon 888, which is especially notable because on the first set flips, they kind of used older chipsets, whereas this is the latest, except for the Plus version. Uh, the cameras have stayed the same, though. The batteries stayed the same. The charging has stayed the same. All of that stuff has remained absolutely identical. You don't have an under-display camera. You don't have stylus support. So there's nothing radical that they've done to change the hardware experience from that perspective. Everything they've really done is about design because they've revamped the actual look of the phones. They no longer have those mirror finishes. Instead, they're a bit more muted in their colorways. Uh, but also, notably, they have that two-tone finish. So you now have a big black bar across the front that covers the main two camera lenses and also covers the new, much larger cover display. And then it's also had those same durability bonuses that the, the folders had. So the IPX8 waterproofing is there. And we didn't actually mention to about the fold, but they're now building the, the frames out of what they're calling armor aluminium, which they say is tougher than regular aluminium, I guess. Uh, but you're also getting Gorilla Glass Victus coating the cover display on the fold and coating both the front and back of the flip. So broadly, what you're getting here is a new version of the flip that looks, I think to me, looks better, but certainly looks a bit different and is much tougher and much more durable. And then the really notable thing here is the price, because the Fold got a bit of a price cut, but the flip price has been slashed. Uh, it now starts from £949 or $999, which is compared to an old starting price of around 1400 uh, in both currencies. So that's almost a third of the price they've taken off in a, in a generation jump. While, it was, it's, like I said, some specs have stayed the same, but they have bumped other things. And there's nothing they've reduced. There's nothing that they've made worse to make that cost-saving year-on-year. Yeah. You get the water resistance. You get the harder, des harder design. It's also a smaller, more compact design, I think, overall, despite without... Very the slightly, size yeah. The they haven't changed a lot, but it's yeah. very slightly slimmed down. I wanted to get an Iron's take on the design, actually, what you thought from just the imagery you saw and, like, everything that's mm, kind of now yeah, out there. Yeah, I mean, that's all, I've, all I have to go on. And obviously yeah. the videos and stuff I've watched. I prefer it over the original, and I was going to say, I think it's the first foldable that really makes sense for most people to go out and buy. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. feels like you get the big screen, you get the big screen display inside, you get something that's actually really properly usable on the front, you get it you know, so incredibly pocketable, which a lot of big phones have struggled with recently. I think the, the design, I think it looks, it screams premium. It kind of looks, it kind of looks the part. And a lot of people, there's quite a lot of brand loyalty towards Samsung anyway, especially in kind of Western markets. So I think um, people will kind of be receptive to them kind of pushing the boat out with these new foldables and something that provided it can be, there's enough use cases where it will, it will be a benefit to them. So, like, will people actually uh, want to make use of it being incredibly portable? Will they want to make use of, like, taking selfies with the little camera on the front, things like that? Provided there's enough use cases for people, I can see a lot of people actually going out and buying it in the same way they would usually buy an, an S21 or something like I'm that. I'm going to disagree ever so slightly with that, because I think you're right about use cases being the driving factor for the fold. But I think for the flip... And this, certainly this is clearly what Samsung thinks with the flip. I think for the flip, it's just about it looking nice and being cool. 
I don't think we're really going to see them push the idea that it lets you do things you couldn't do before. Not even really push the portability and the compact size, but just really be like, this is the same price as other phones, but it's so much cooler. Why wouldn't you buy this one? Yeah, the, I, I could I could much more comfortably recommend this than any previous flip to yeah. someone who's just looking for a nice yeah. high-end phone. As long as they understand what you get and don't get in terms of the trade-offs here, because there's obviously like, you know, the cameras are going to be good. There's... I think two right, yeah. cameras on the back, but they're not—they're not going to be Galaxy S twenty one Ultra quality. Yeah. I am very doubtful of that. Yeah. Obviously, we need to get it. In Even at the same but... price, they're not going to be S twenty one quality. And they're actually—it's actually more than the no, base S twenty one, and they will not be S twenty one quality cameras. You're not getting the S twenty one variety of cameras either. There's no telephoto or anything like that. Um, it's just a regular mm. and a wide, both mm. twelve megapixel, and they are the same lenses as last year, the exact same hardware. Um, and again, the cameras were fine last year, uh, but they weren't the strong suit. So there's definitely. That, I think, is the big compromise you're making compared to a, another similar, similarly priced flagship phone. Is that you could spend a grand somewhere else and get much better cameras. Uh, battery, I guess, is the other thing, but that's always just a Samsung thing mm. anyway. But yeah, you will find faster charging and bigger batteries with, with other rivals, especially the Chinese OEMs. But, I mean, actually, if you're staying within the Samsung ecosystem, you won't do much better anywhere, anywhere else because you are still getting wireless charging here. Yeah, and I'm all for the bigger display. I know some people were like, Motorola went too hard mm -hmm. on the, the revamped Razer with the big display, but I think this is a, a nice size. I think it's now just shy of two 1. inches, 1.9 like yep. inches, and it was 1.1 yep. before. Which sounds mistaken. like a not giant so leap, was, but actually, yeah. because that's the diagonal measurement, it's about four times the size. Yeah. So it is, it is much larger. Yeah. Yeah, I think the key thing here is the way they've hidden it in that black, that black element on the design. And I like yeah. that visor. That visor it doesn't look like, oh, there's a big display on the front. It's just kind of hidden in the black bit. And then, yeah, it's useful. It's just a bigger notification display area, but also widgets for music control, checking the weather. Yeah. Uh, you can even do things like a voice recorder, set a timer, uh, check your step count mm. uh, just by kind of swiping through the widgets, which you know, I think some people will use some of that and some people will completely find it useless. But it's nice and it gives you a nice mini always on display. So... In, in terms of Samsung intentions as well, actually, to the point of it being like a nice looking phone first and foremost... Uh, this also more than I think maybe even the S21 Plus, which I think had the largest amount of color options mm -hmm. when that launched. Uh, this one, if you go to samsung.com, you can find like there's like four colors at launch standard, and then there's like three more colors that you can get direct yes, from Samsung. Online exclusive, those um, ones. And I think, yeah, yeah. And the color, I think all of the colors, all of the finishes. So this really is actually nice. the, the exact point I was about to make is if, if you want to look at one thing that proves that Samsung is going hard on making the Z Flip. Uh, three a mainstream device that they want to sell a lot of these not just a few of these as a niche loss leader it's not the fact that they've cut the price so obviously that's usually significant it's the fact that they've made seven finishes because you don't make seven finishes of a phone you only expect to sell a few million of you only make seven finishes if you think you are going to ship tens of millions of these things uh, and that is very clear that that is where Samsung is now positioning this. This is meant to be a mass market device because there is no other reason to go to the cost of doing so many different versions of it in different colorways, uh, including different frame colors. Some of them are two-tone, some of them online exclusive, some of them for stores. I'm sure we're going to see some carrier partnerships and more colors roll out down the line. Like That to me is the strongest signal that Samsung is ready to make this a very, very mainstream device and it hopes to sell a lot of these versus the Fold, which still just has three finishes and you know mm. two of them are, are very muted a, a black and a very dark green that are in that kind of 
you know, the way ultra phones always come in just black and white and are muted and professional. This is this is a colour. The flip is more colourful, and they clearly want to want to ship a lot of these things. To that point as well, like Samsung has two big launch like kind of sessions mm-hmm. each year. You know, the Galaxy S at the start of the year, and then halfway through it has been the Note range. Mm. Uh, and arguably those two devices, like the high-end S whatevers, so be it, say, last year's S20 Ultra and the Note Ultra of the same year, are in much more, like, tighter competition in terms of performance yes. and features than a foldable would be. Well, so the Flip is far less of a competitor to any of the S21 exactly. ranges here. And, and they're also, I mean... Uh, sorry, S- the Flip 3. Samsung's sorry. in a fascinating space here because... I think we spoke last week that there's some pressure on their sales figures, especially with the S range. And they're, they're still doing great in the mid-range, but actually S, S flagship sales have been declining. They're killing the note. So all the pressure is on their foldables right now because that is the one area where they functionally have zero competition in 80% of the world. In China, there's Xiaomi and Huawei like rivals to consider. And worldwide, there is the Motorola Razr, but it's, not a, it's, it's never been as well-reviewed or sold as well as the Z Flip. And there's no indication there's a new Razer on the way anytime soon either to, to rival this. So Samsung essentially has zero foldable competition in, in North America or in Europe. And so it's got the chance to make up some of that lost ground and really assert itself as the foldable phone company in the eyes of the, the global phone consumer base. And that's really key to them. And I have to wonder if that that's why this is the moment they've chosen to to mainstream them in terms of pricing and just realize this is their po- the moment. If they wait another year, they're going to have more competition and they've got one year now to be the best foldable phone company for most of the world and make the most of that. So curious to see where they go with it. Uh, we will sure. obviously be trying to get hold of these to review. Um, everyone will know I have already shotgunned the flip. But uh <laughs> let's quickly turn to the other samsung things i'm actually going to take the buds 2 first because i'm sure we can rattle through the buds 2 okay. pretty quickly uh so new pair of headphones as the name goes away these are priced at 139 pounds 149 dollars or euros so they're actually priced a little higher than the the buds and the buds plus which is what they're supposedly replacing but they throw in anc now active noise cancellation while still only costing a little more than the base AirPods. So it's clearly kind of positioned as a AirPods rival for people willing to spend a little bit more and where, you know, they can get that upseller, well, spend an extra 20 bucks and you get this big extra new feature that Apple won't give you or that kind of thing. Um, They are also pitched by Samsung as the smallest and lightest buds in the range yet. I've got to admit, I don't see that as a clear win because I don't know if you kind of looked at these much when we were at the event, Toddy, but they felt very light and almost cheap hollow yeah felt a bit cheap and plasticky when you pick them up because they are so light and i appreciate uh, the lightness of buds is a big factor in how comfortable they are in your ear but really these kind of picked up the case felt a bit flimsy the buds felt very plasticky um didn't feel like a premium product in that respect but features that should be very strong and i actually really like the look of them they've uh, echoed the two-tone design of the flip by having a two-tone case where it's white on the outside, and then the inside color matches the buds, which come in sort of green and violet, as well as the white. So I think these look really nice. I'm a little confused by the pricing. I think it throws just Samsung's range off a little bit. I think it really undermines the pros, which launched yes. earlier this year. The because to, to, to the right. casual observer, and even me having looked at the specs, it's not super clear what the pros are meant to offer that these don't, and that's why you should pay an extra 100 for the pro models. 
Um, there are a few niche features, but sort of the big features are all packed into these ones. Um, I'm sure the sound quality is not going to quite match what the pros offer, but for the average consumer, I'm not sure that's the main priority at this price point. So um, I, I, I wonder if they could have trimmed out one or two features and made them £30 cheaper to keep them undercutting AirPods rather than being more premium than AirPods. But, I, you know, I don't know. Equally, it's Samsung headphones, and if you know, if you try to buy any of them in a while, they their prices just dive within a couple of months of launch. So these won't stay at 150 mm. for very long. Uh, you can already buy the Buds Live from last year for sub 100 pounds in the UK, which is a, a big price drop for them. But these look solid. I, I don't want to rag on them too much. I'm just not yeah. totally convinced by the way the price and the feature set will, will balance out. Uh, now, Toddy watches. I know nothing about these watches, so. You can take the reins. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't already watched uh, the hands-on video I shot, um, yeah, basically all the rumors are true. So two types of watches, the standard Watch 4 and the Watch 4 Classic, both come in two sizes. There's a 40 and a 44 millimeter body on the Watch 4, 42 and a 46 on the Classics, um, which is kind of similar to what we've seen from previous generations. But this is, I think, the first time, at least in a long time, I can think, where Samsung has put all of these options together in one go. Mm. So you have the contemporary design of the standard Watch 4, and then the classic is just like last year's gear. Um, sorry, gear three, what mm -hmm. three from last year? Um, the main differenti differentiation being a more con uh, traditional watch styling on the classic with the physical rotating bezel, which works in terms of user interaction. Whereas the Watch Active Two is kind of the precursor to the Watch Four. So mm. no physical moving parts beyond the two buttons on the side, and the bezel is kind of just part of the touchscreen. Um, but yeah, I think they both look really nice. You can get all of them in Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, uh, Bluetooth or 4G, excuse me. Um, Added two and, sizes of each. Yeah, the, the main... Right. So there's a lot of actual, yeah, there's two, like eight, yeah, yeah. eight yes. total options or something. Yeah, Technically eight <laughs> options, which is mad. Yeah, so they really went big on, on the watches. And also they are cheaper than, uh, with the whole range that Samsung showed off today, any of their respective predecessors, they are coming in cheaper than last year's version, yeah. whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and yet these look really solid. They also debut Samsung's new Exynos W920, which is like the first five nanometer chip I can think of. I don't think Apple's chips are, are five nanometer processors just yet um, in a smartwatch. So it should be super efficient. Samsung's quoting up to 40 hours of wear per charge, yes. which is really good. Um, and the big kind of health upgrade, because that's really where watches can push right now, mm. is the addition of body composition, which is you put your fingers on the two buttons on the side and through that and the contacts on the underside of the sensor, it can give you things like um, bone density, muscle density, water mm -hmm. retention, these kind of like stats, BMI. Uh, if you ever had smart scales, that's probably the same yep. thing. So it's the first time I think we've yep. got it on a watch, at least a mainstream watch, like not like a very specific medical. Yeah, I'm actually watch. surprised thinking um, about it. I yeah. never considered it as something to put in a watch. And then once I saw that it was in this, I didn't know it, could it kind of done. makes sense because actually the way it, you know, the smart scales just do it. They're just sending an electrical, electrical current, you know, from one foot to the other and, and measuring yeah. how long it takes. And, and it's sort of, it's something to do with that. If I'm, you know, clearly the actual science is beyond me, but it, it, it seems to me from my limited understanding that the technical side of it is fairly simple to implement and we've had it in scales forever. So in a way, it then suddenly yeah. feels like, oh, it seems like an obvious thing to put in a watch, actually, because you do just need to have these two points of contact and very mild electrical signals and straight away. Yeah. And, and sometimes the gym equipment you see with those yes. silver contacts on handles and stuff, they Absolutely. can do that, too. It's the same, yeah. it's the same idea. But first, watch. I do wonder how many people 
need it from their watch you know the, the sort of people buying these maybe already have scales or get it from their gym or whatever but I, I, it's a cool feature to add in as relatively small but um it's a nice demonstration of the tech the bigger change here is maybe the software yeah. side right yes so this is even though wear os3 google still kind of weirdly working on it um in any kind of like formal capacity we haven't seen like a a pure wear os3 watch yet Samsung is kind of jumping the gun by introducing what they're calling Wear OS powered by Samsung, uh, running One UI Watch, just to make it really confusing. (laughs) So it is Samsung's spin on the new version of Wear OS that Google has been developing with them. Uh, The spin is that it kind of holds onto some elements of the Tizen experience that, say, last year's Watch 3 offered, so that people coming from existing Galaxy Watch entries will understand where they are in the user experience. Mm. That said, some things are different, like the apps drawer is now you swipe up and all your apps in like a kind of hexagonal grid. Um, the other big change is that Google, the Google Play Store and Google Apps now feature on the watch, which is kind of huge um, for both platforms, I guess, for both brands, if you will. Um, so you can get Google Maps on there because there wasn't a mapping app built into the Samsung Galaxy watches previously. There was like a compass and GPS, but it was only really worked in very specific situations or with third party apps or whatever. So now you have... Google Maps, you can use Google Pay, so you can use Samsung Pay and Google Pay, which means more banks, which is kind of cool. Um, there's still some questions we saw on a video with things like, does it run Google Fit? Because there was no mention of that and they weren't on the watches, but can Google Fit use all the mm. sensors in the watch for? That would be interesting mm. to find out, which we'll look at that in the review. Um, and whether the Google Assistant is around anywhere mm. because Bixby Voice is the native assistant mm. on the Watch 4 line, which is an important thing to know. If you've come across Bixby before and you're not a fan of Samsung's voice assistant experience, that's kind of all that it looks like it, we have right now, but we don't know for sure until we get the watches in and we'll test all of that out properly. Um, but yeah, design-wise, price-wise, functionality-wise, I think they're really strong offerings. I think they look really good. There's a bunch of colors, depending on the option you go for. I think the the standard Watch 4 has more colors than the classic range does. Um, and the size as well affects which one you can go for. But overall, I think these are pretty strong smartwatches. I already kind of lumped Samsung in as like the main competitor to the Apple Watch. Yeah. I don't think that's changed here. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think they're really solid. I have no complaints really on first impressions. I just need to test out how that Wear OS experience kind of translates and how much it's different from the Tizen experience that they offered up before. One question I had was just, is there is mm. there any specific benefit? Would they be pushing people to use them with Samsung phones or does it not matter? Or are there any exclusive that features? That is a great question. Uh, so a thing that came out actually mm. like yesterday or today is that uh, there's no iOS support anymore, oh, which yeah. both Samsung's previous watches and Wear OS previous Wear OS watches did offer. So that's an interesting thing. So it means it's already got a slightly more limited pool of devices it can work with. In terms of a lot of that new functionality, mm. that is both limited, like the, the body composition is limited, and, and ECG, for example, are limited to not only um, the uh, sensors on the watch and the Samsung Health app that it partners with, but also by country based on approval from various you know governing bodies yep. on, on health and devices that mm. have sensors in. So in terms of if you're looking at this watch for those features, maybe check first whether you can even get access to those mm. features. Um, right now they just said Samsung Health. They didn't specifically say that it had to be on a Galaxy device, okay. but the way they talked about One UI Watch, that was definitely tied into 
having a Galaxy device that's compatible with mm. it because it the, 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 the something they really wanted to push was that you can download an app on your phone and the partner app will appear on the watch automatically, which makes mm. a lot of sense. So that's something that we have actually seen on smartwatches before, but this is now Samsung's definitely making a concerted effort to make sure that this kind of uh, transferable experience appears on both. And maybe we see some things like this yeah. stuff working at launch with Samsung devices and eventually rolling out to wider support, especially Trickle. once Wear OS yeah. 3 officially arrives in you know whatever capacity that'll make sense the ios thing is an interesting one because it actually makes some sense for of all people samsung to just say no this doesn't work with an iphone i mean i don't know how many iphone users are actually going to buy (laughs) galaxy watches i'm sure samsung knows how many they have and presumably it's not that many if they're willing to take this step there's probably a lot of dev cost to maintaining ios compatibility And all it does is, in the public mind, assert this kind of hierarchy where Apple doesn't have to support Android, but Android does have to support Apple back. Mm. And if Samsung can just put itself on a level footing where it's like, well, Apple doesn't need us, we don't need Apple, you know, like, our ecosystem's just as good as theirs is. We're also confident that we don't need to sort of bring in iPhone users. If they want to use a Galaxy device, they should jump over whole hog and and get the phone as well, because we know it's better for them. yeah, in terms of it being a challenge, like it was already a pretty limited experience yep. if you did use even a Wear OS watch, but especially a Galaxy watch. So much of the functionality that Samsung was trying to make push that was unique exactly. just wouldn't work. So mm. you couldn't even respond to messages, mm. I don't think, on iOS if you paired your Galaxy watch with an yep. iOS device. You could take calls, but do not do messages. Um, and one other thing was, oh, in terms of the interaction between devices, they have some new watch faces and stuff on there. Um, if you have a, if you pick up a Flip Three, you can marry the watch face on your watch with the clock face on the secondary external display yep. on the Flip Three, which is a nice little right. way to kind of suggest like buy this and get this watch with it, and they work together as a nice little. It's also package. another thing that shows again, I guess, with the Flip Three, they're really pushing this kind of aesthetic angle to it. Because again, this is a purely cosmetic and... bit of fluffy feature for the Flip Three, but it's fun. Absolutely. It looks cool. And they pointedly, they did not announce that same support for the Fold, which is not about fluffy, cool features. It's about efficient productivity. (laughs) Uh, Very different sort of spaces that they're pushing in. Anyway, that is enough of Samsung. We need to move on to Xiaomi. Uh, But yes, that was everything that Samsung announced at Galaxy Unpacked. We are going to be getting all of these in for review from Samsung soon. So hopefully either next week, more likely the week after or the one after that, we'll be able to give you our thoughts on actually testing these out longer term rather than just after one hour playing around in Samsung shop. Uh, Let's move on to Xiaomi, to products that actually we're probably going to have to wait a lot longer to get our hands on if we ever do, because it's not clear that any of this is ever coming anywhere outside of China, sadly. But Xiaomi made a few big announcements at an event on Tuesday, which mostly felt, watching the Chinese stream, it really just felt like the whole thing was a celebration of Xiaomi's CEO, rather than... It was the most pat on the back of the event ever, because the first hour we were talking to each other, Dom and I trying to watch this and it was just the, the there was one shot i loved it it was there's the founder and ceo of xiaomi on horseback in a and slide. this is on a big slide on a giant projection on a giant wall while he stands in yeah. front of this picture of himself on horseback 
Surreal. Uh, and this was, yeah, as I totally said, a full hour of retrospective on the company's success, on its market penetration, on how well this guy's done. Lots of slides of just like Xiaomi execs at drinks events, all like cheersing each other with beers <laughs> and things like that, all in Mandarin. So I'm afraid I can't give you any insight into what they were actually saying at the time. But a uh, very strange first hour where nothing was announced and it mostly just seemed like a big celebration of how good they are. Uh, then they turned to actual announcements and suddenly we got quite a few big things. The the main interesting announcements are the Mi Mix 4, which is a new flagship phone, the Mi Pad 5 tablet, of which there are a few, and then the CyberDog. Yeah, let's start <laughs> with the phone. Uh, the Mi Mix 4 is new flagship phone. It is priced similarly in China to the Mi 11 Ultra. So that should give you kind of a sense of the tier they're putting this in. It is coming out in China. They are being very coy about global plans, and it sounds like it's not getting a global release. It might happen, but there's lots of not for now and, you know, kind of words to that effect that mostly sound like probably never coming internationally. But Mimix 4, flagship phone, the headline thing here is the under-display camera, which we've already spoken about with Samsung. Uh, the difference is Xiaomi's looks like it might be really good. Um, we say that, obviously, we haven't <laughs> seen it in person, and Xiaomi could just be doing a very good job of sharing images that are flattering, and then you see it in person, and it's nowhere near as impressive. But <clears throat> what we've seen from the presentation looks more impressive than Samsung's in the sense that it genuinely looks like, from most angles, you just can't see the camera. Uh, and the display looks unmarred by the camera. There's not an obvious spot where you can point and say oh, look, I can see the lens through there, or oh, look, uh, that bit's really pixelated because they're trying to hide the lens. The display just looks like the rest of the display. Uh, I'm sure technically it's slightly lower resolution in that area, but close enough that you don't, you can't tell, um, which looks impressive. Were you as impressed as I was, Toddy? Um, it's so hard to gauge off yeah. slides and stuff like that, but I mean, the Mimix range has always been about a kind of design and, and innovation, like pushing like a new feature. I think the last one I went hands on with was the Mimix 3, which was the first, like they got rid of the front camera, sliding. Having a whole yep. sliding design, the screen slid down. That was pretty cool. It was a really nice piece of hardware. Um, and also they used the Mimix line to debut 5G. Mm -hmm. They used like, that was one of their first 5G phones as well. Uh, so I have no doubts that they're going to make sure that there's the signature feature on this because the, the under display camera on the Fold 3 isn't like the hook of the Fold 3. So I think it's okay to a degree that it's not as yep. good. Whereas this is kind of all about that camera. Like, yep. it, so it has to be the best there is. And it, relatively speaking, looks like the best we've seen based on other presentation slides and renders that yes. I've seen. I, I think we've seen more of this in person. In videos and yeah. firsthand. It's really right now, hard. Yeah. But yeah, it looks like we've a really We've seen nice the Axon 20 last year in person and now the Fold 3 in person with the other under-display cameras. ZT's also had the Axon 30, but we haven't seen one in the flesh. Now the Mi Mix 4. And then, as we said, Oppo unveiled sort of a prototype with it, but they're not even putting it in an actual phone yet. So it's kind of unfair to assess that. Yeah. Um, I think Hannah had seen the very yes. first version of Oppo's under display. She did see that well, in person like in that's China right. when she but again, went that was there. the very first gen. That was like yeah. two years ago now. <laughs> so I'm sure that was a bit ropey. Yeah. Um, it, mm. It's interesting you make the point they're kind of leading with this because actually, yeah, there was a quote from from someone at Xiaomi I, I saw today 
that amid criticism of the quality of the selfies that it was taking, because it's worth saying, we didn't actually talk about this with Samsung, but I did take a sort of trial selfie with that under-display camera, compared it to one from the front screen. And actually, if you look, Marcus Brownlee um, has done the same thing and shared his. I wasn't allowed to share mine from the event, but Marcus actually has a sample of the phone now. Uh, so if you go on his Twitter, you'll see his samples. The photos from the under-display camera are very soft. Um, the way they handle light is mm. pretty poor. Uh, light sources are very much blown out. Um, and a lot of softness around the skin and some little bits of artifacting around edges, especially edges of light sources. So not great. And people have pointed out, essentially, the, the Mi Mix 4 looks very similar. I don't think anyone's touting the selfie quality there. Um, but yes, what I was getting to was that this Xiaomi exec has said, basically, this is a phone that's about the display, not about the selfie camera. So they have prioritized making the display look good rather than making the camera quality good. And if that means you know, selfies are going to be a bit rubbish, they're going to shrug and say, that's fine, because we made it look as cool as we could. <laughs> For the cost, though, how are we, how much are we talking Chinese? Uh, one uh, it is, I think it starts from 4,999, um, which, okay. uh, and goes up to 6,299. Conversions to the UK and US are a bit unhelpful. That puts it at 550, £700, $770. Um, I think more helpful is it's um, a thousand one less than the Mi 11 Ultra in China, or at least the Mi 11 Ultra starting price. Mm. So it's coming in a little below yeah, the Mi 11 Ultra, but not sort of hugely below. It's still getting that. So this would probably be the equivalent of a thousand pound, twelve hundred dollar phone if it launched in the West, mm. which I don't think it will. Does it excite either of you? Like. A, the concept of under-display cameras, but also this device and one that kind of clearly is trying to kind of emphasize mm. how good it can be made. For me, yes, but I don't use selfie cameras a lot on phones. I don't take very many selfies. I use them for, uh, you know, video calls. That's about it. That's the only time. So I actually don't mind a slightly rubbish or annoying selfie camera. It's the same reason I was always a fan of the, I mean, you mentioned the Mimix, um the previous Mimix having the sliding screen, and actually we'll talk about the new Honor Magic, but also the previous Honor Magic had a sliding screen. And then I also loved mm -hmm. the OnePlus Pro models that had the pop-up camera, uh, and the Oppos yeah. that did the pop-up. These all work for me because I like—I don't use the selfie that much, so it doesn't matter to me if the selfie camera is a little annoying or if the quality is a bit worse. And if I get that trade-off, but then in return I get a full screen that's uninterrupted, great, I'm actually really sold on that. Um, so that that comment from Xiaomi about oh, this isn't a phone for selfies, it's a phone for the display. It's like, well, that speaks to me because I care about my phone's display. I don't really care about the selfie quality. So on a personal level, I'm like, great, sign me up. I'm, I'm ready for this. I just want an implementation that looks as good as this seems to look rather than one that still looks a bit janky like Samsung's. What about you and Iron? Yeah, I would, I'd probably be in the same boat. I would, I would much rather, almost to the extent of I'd rather a phone that didn't have a selfie camera at all and just actually had a great I've been waiting for someone display. to just make that. Just make one and just be like, there's no yeah. selfie camera, but we made the display so good. Uh, and yeah. just like, yeah. deal with it. But yeah. <laughs> and then, then we've spoken about at the manufacturers where they just throw loads of rear cameras on to like almost have less camera lenses on the whole device, mm -hmm. make one, one or two rear cameras that are really good and just, you know, like make a great display that looks great because um, obviously that's what manufacturers have been working towards, this kind of completely bezel-less display. And um, I can understand, like, Xiaomi wanting to try this because it will make 
I think it will, first of all, it would get um, a lot of attention that they're one of the first companies to really push this and trying to be um, trying to be kind of ambitious with it. But also the fact that um, there are more options. You don't have to have like a hole punch. You don't have to have a teardrop notch. Yep. There are alternatives that where it doesn't necessarily matter about the quality of the sensor. Mm -hmm. uh, let's run through yeah, everything else sure. the Mimix 4 does very, very quickly, and then we'll have to move on. Um, but mm -hmm. other notable things, it is actually the first phone powered by the Snapdragon 888 Plus processor, the new enhanced version of the chipset. The Honors we're going to talk about also feature it, but uh, Xiaomi did pip them to it by two days. Uh, so first with that, you've got 120 hertz OLED display, though it's only FHD+. Plus not uh, QHD like they managed to do in the Mi 11 line. So they dropped the resolution back down here, presumably to help work around the under-display camera. Uh, rear cameras are still impressive, but not Mi 11 Ultra level. Um, 108 megapixel main lens with OIS, 30 megapixel ultra-wide, and an 8 megapixel 5 times zoom periscope. So still a very solid camera setup. Looks on paper better than the base Mi 11, but not up there with the Mi 11 Ultra. Uh, but it also doesn't have that giant stonking big camera module that the Ultra does, uh, and no no silly rear display either. Uh, charging is also pretty impressive, 120 watt wired charging and 50 watt wireless charging. Uh, and then you're getting Gorilla Glass Victus on the front and a ceramic unibody design. So it's not just a ceramic rear, but it's ceramic Ooh. around the frame as well. Um, very impressive. All of that does add, cool. to, add up to a phone that's 225 grams. So that's quite heavy. Mm. Um, that's like ROG Phone 6 level. Yeah, weight, especially because right? it's own, uh, only 6.67 inch display. So it's not actually a giant, yeah. giant display. It's not a 6.9 inch or anything like that. But it's, mm. it's a big screen, but it's a heavy phone. Um, and this is after them saying that the ceramic let them cut the weight by 30%. So that's how heavy a lot of the stuff in this is, that they had to go ceramic to make it only 225 grams, which is still very heavy. Uh, and the, you can only imagine the glass and metal version of this would have been functionally the same weight as the Z Fold 3 from the sounds of it. So it's, it's a bit of a beast. Sadly, it doesn't seem like we're going to get it internationally, though I'm hoping they change their minds. Uh, if nothing else, because as Xiaomi is trying to push its global reach, it really needs to push more and more of these top tier flagships and having big releases like its fold that never leave china doesn't give as much confidence about its sort of global ambitions um though i'm sure with the sales figures mm. it's had recently it is not going to be too worried um <laughs> sticking with xiaomi toddy uh mi pad 5 tablets were announced yeah i'll blaze through this because it's not a huge i mean fundamentally it is limited by the fact that right now it is another only china mm -hmm. set of products um, but, uh, obviously they framed these tablets as iPad rivals. Um, I'd argue they are not quite that level, mainly because the chipsets they're using, um, uh, but they're still going to be really good Android tablets, um, that Samsung maybe would want to be worried about based on the price performance mm -hmm. they seem to be offering. There's three, but really kind of two distinct versions as the Mi Pad 5, the Mi Pad 5 Pro, the Pro comes in a Wi-Fi or a 5G flavor. Um, that also affects a couple of other things like the amount of RAM you can top it up at and, the cameras on the back are slightly different. You get a 50 meg cam on the 5G version versus the 13 meg with the secondary mm -hmm. depth camera as well. Um, beyond that, I really like that they are all the same display size and tech. So they're both they're all um, 2.5K. Uh, I think they're LCD panels um, and they support a stylus, which is sold separately, and a keyboard dock. But because they follow that, that 
11 inch sizing they can all use oh, the same simpler. set of accessories yeah, which is really nice welcome. yeah nice and nice and easy um so yeah so you know and, and the the pricing of those relative to the chinese figures is pretty low as well so they're definitely cheaper than mm-hmm. apple pencil for example or magic yeah. keyboard for ipad um yeah, the base MePad 5 uses a Snapdragon 860, whilst the Pro models use an 870. So either way, you're getting pretty solid performance just out the gate. You know, I think for tablets, you never need the 888. Samsung is really nice at putting in the top spec mobile chip in its tablets as well. But, um, you know, I've not really seen Android ever be able to showcase the full I, power I guess the limit is of, it's of what you're using like it for that. right but yeah android is the thing holding you back is that tablets are fundamentally yeah. either going to be a device for doodling in front of the tv screen or watching netflix on the train in which case you don't need a lot of power yeah. or it's a proper laptop replacement productivity device for creatives working on the go but you're going to buy an ipad <laughs> <laughs> and these aren't those. These yeah. are not those. But these are definitely more the former. But they're well specced yeah. for the price. I'd say they're pretty solid. Um, you get fun colors in the the Mi Pad Five. Comes in like a fun green color, which is quite nice as well. Um, and what else? Did, oh yeah, they also showcase our first look at MIUI Four Pad. Is the name mm, just rolls off the tongue? Where they might have got the. <laughs> I know it's considering they had done tablets in the past that have just run MIUI. The last one they did the Mi Pad Four was in 2018 so they haven't done tablets for a while but they're now making a concerted effort with the user experience it had a decidedly ipad os looking multitasking setup yes like it was one for one in terms of how it looked and behaved but whatever fine that's not too surprising um and yeah beyond that there's nothing massively uh groundbreaking about them but i think the fact that xiaomi's back in the tablet game and putting out some good value for money tablets that deliver on performance by the looks of it is promising and competition Certainly. is what we need. Uh, as an tablets. aside, I know we gripe about Xiaomi software a lot, but uh, I've gone back to using the Mi 11 for a bit while I'm between review devices because mm. I, I really like the Mi 11 a lot. Uh, and I just got the MIUI 12.5 update and oh my God, I hate it. Uh, <laughs> it's <so> really <laughs> frustrating. <laughs> it's the one headache with these phones. So I keep being like, they're getting better, they're getting better. And then 12.5 rolled out, and I'm like, nothing on this phone does what it used to do. I don't like it. <laughs> Change is bad. Oh, uh, no. I'm sure I'll get used to it. But the, the <laughs> notifications and control center are now completely, completely broken for me. And you can go back to like old settings, is, I think, as the menu puts it. And I'm going to do that. Stay tuned for our next Xiaomi yeah. phone review. Uh, <laughs> but yes, new, new Android tablets is good. It is a market I think we'd all given up on. And Samsung seem to be the only people propping it up. And yeah. it remains interesting yeah. that Xiaomi are throwing more money into it. Uh, recently, MediaTek announced a new tablet chipset. I can't remember what it was called now. Uh, the right, Their yeah. tablet ones are called Companio, I think, uh, with a K at the beginning. Very clunky yeah. name. Um, yeah. But... It, Lenovo still knocking about in there. Yes, well, we've might seen be having this a Realme pad. Soon, so. Realme pad, yeah. Oh, Realme pad, yeah. So it does look like these so are a maybe. thing, but it may just be that it's a thing maybe. in the Chinese market for some reason yeah. and not Very really possibly. going to appear anywhere else. But we'll see. Uh, final Xiaomi thing, mm. just so we can all you know be baffled by it for a few minutes. The Xiaomi CyberDog. <laughs> uh, this is a <laughs> small. Xiaomi made version of like the Boston Dynamics, you know those creepy dog robots that the videos go viral every every the now and then. It does a backflip, and you know they show off how well it can like stealthily stalk a warehouse and kill a man. Um, yeah, Open a door, <laughs> write a novel. Xiaomi's made one too. It's it's very odd. It's terrifying looking. Uh, someone on on our team put it on Slack. It sort of looked like looks like its face is in just an unending scream. Um, 
but it can do backflips. So what else do you want? It, it costs 10,000 uh, run, which works out to about a grand and a half US. Um, and they're only releasing a thousand of them right now. And they say it's kind of going it's to bargain, fans right? and developers. Um, and because it, it's, I don't really understand. It's very confusing. They're describing it as open source. Clearly the pitch really is they're trying to get it in the hands of devs to sort of do stuff with it. But you look at it and you're like, well, why? Is this meant to be a toy? Are you building these for the... I mean, it won't help, uh, you know, allegations that Xiaomi is a Chinese military company because almost every feasible application of these things is for the military or the police. So Xiaomi rolling one out does look a little bit like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's why you would make that. How much did you say it was, roughly? Uh, 9,999 yuan. Um, $1,500. So it is cheaper than Sony's latest iBo. Right, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> that's absurd that's incredible uh, yeah they are releasing so you can get this dog wow. from sony or this dog from releasing 1000 to xiaomi fans engineers and robotic enthusiasts to jointly explore the immense possibility of cyber dog so what could, what go, could wrong? go wrong exactly um <laughs> you would normally joke it's like a black mirror episode but it is literally there is a black mirror episode of this yeah. so you know great uh Let's move on, finally, to Honor, the final of the three big launches this week. Uh, luckily, there's only one thing to talk about here. The Honor Magic 3 series of phones unveiled this afternoon or this evening in China, depending on your time zones. Um, unlike Xiaomi's products, these are getting a global launch. And Honor is so committed to that global launch, it has given us Euro pricing for the phones. It's not so committed as to actually give us a global release date. For the phones so we're sort of halfway mm. there um it is worth bearing in mind as we talk about the global launch that the honor 50 is also getting a global launch that was announced in june and we still don't have pricing or a release Ooh. date for it so so we have more about the magic fascinatingly about yes the even though it's two months later wow um, but yeah bear that in mind that uh, <laughs> this is in theory coming out you know probably still not to the states but at least to europe but it could well be months before we see these things. Uh, but yes, the Honor Magic 3 series has three phones. There was only one Honor 50, but there's three Magic 3s. A Magic 3, a Magic 3 Pro, and a Magic 3 Pro Plus. These are priced very much as premium devices. And Honor's now kind of trying to retroactively position the 50 as a mid-range and these as flagships. And now sort of adjust its line so that its numbered phones will be mid-range and the Magic line will be its flagship devices. Um, so to put the pricing into perspective, the base Magic 3 is going to be €899. Euros. The Pro will be €1,099. Euros, and the Pro Plus is going to be €1,499. Basically the same price as a CyberDog. So, I mean, I don't know why you'd buy the phone <laughs> over the, the terrifying new police weapon. Um, but, yeah, th these are interesting looking phones. Fundamentally, they, they really come down in, like, two strong features here, which is chipset, because other than the base model is an 888, and the both pros are 888 pluses. So like the Mi Mix 4, they are the latest, most powerful chipset you can get. Uh, and then just cameras, where Honor has done exactly what Anaron says he hates, and thrown as many lenses as they can on the yeah. back of each of these things. But they do look like good lenses, to be fair. I mean, the hardware looks cool, but, like, I don't... Any phone that isn't like a super foldable or something or other, just a candy bar phone to just with with just the latest high end specs to push out a price point of fourteen ninety nine mm -hmm. euros. That's 
200 euros more than the Xperia 1 Mark 3, which I un- understand is is an 888, not a plus. But we talked about how overpriced yep. that felt in the space. Mm. And this is also an honor phone, a brand that just doesn't, I think, isn't known really for offering ultra high-end devices ever. So then to come in with a phone like this at that price point, I think is... You could call mm-hmm. it ambitious. I would say it's maybe misguided, perhaps. I think they should maybe focus on getting their brand out there in the market more with more affordable devices rather than just going totally. to look at this thing. I'm, I'm very surprised by the strategy here because, as you said, Honor needs to build its brand back up. It's newly independent. It was sold by Huawei in November. Uh, so it's only had sort of eight, nine months of, of independence as its own company, where obviously it spent a lot of that just going through restructuring and reestablishing relationships and, and things like that. Um, obviously, the last year or so of that Huawei relationship was dampened by not being able to ship phones with Google, which really hurt on its market share worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, they're now able to ship phones with Google, but they've got to rebuild everything. And the one thing that people might remember from them really is that they were kind of in that flagship killer space, like OnePlus, you know, really, really strong mid-range mm-hmm. devices. And I'm really shocked that that's not where they've come back here. And that's why the 50 made sense to me, because the 50 is in that space a premium mid-range phone that if they could have pushed the honor 50 out in the west at five or six hundred it felt like that that could be a really compelling offer but these coming in at 900 euros for the cheapest one i I don't know who buys an honor phone at that price right now where honor is functionally a whole new brand uh you know untested uh the other uh, that you know we should talk about the software side these will have google i do have to wonder what the Google situation is, because so far, although we know the Honor 50 is going to get Google and we know the Magic 3 is going to get Google because Honor has told us as much, we've not seen even a render of Google services running on any of these phones. And obviously these global launches have been very delayed. So I have to wonder if actually the, you know, the T's haven't been crossed and the I's haven't been dotted on the deals with Google to make all this work yet. This is pure speculation on my part, to be clear. But you know, I can't help but wonder if that's why everything's a bit delayed because they're actually not ready to ship them with Google just yet. Either way, they will be coming with Google. Um, but there is one massive software caveat here, almost a deal breaker for me, especially for the Pro Plus. Honor is promising at least one OS update. That's it. Nope. And they are that. shipping at the <laughs> tail end of 2021 with Android 11. So that one OS update Just is going to be Android 12, which launches in a month or two. Wow. And then that's it. Uh, they say at least they might give you another one, but they're not guaranteeing it. Um, for a phone that's a grand and a half, that is just not acceptable, yeah. to be blunt. Based on the way like OnePlus has gone, you know, being folded into oppo effectively it does seem to be that the ongoing software support is arguably one of the biggest drains on resources for a company beyond developing and launching yeah. a phone in the first place mm. so yeah that's terrifying though like how could you how could you put your money out for something like that yeah again on a mid-range device forgivable <laughs> wow. but um you know one os update on a on a grand and a half is just not good enough and and yeah it clearly it must be a, a huge a huge strain for them but equally you know part of honors you know their press release today around the new launches being bullish about how they've got ten thousand employees worldwide and you know all these r&d centers and labs it's like okay we well, you can't also turn around and then say like oh we're only a startup we can't afford to to do software <laughs> yeah, seven of them work like, on software yeah, that's yeah it. you can't have it both ways uh to the point on software as well, I think something that came out after we did our Google Pixel 6 episode the other week, uh, Google has also said that five OS updates should be coming to the mm-hmm. Pixel 6 series. 
Mm. which is yes. pretty solid. Yeah, more and more, good. this is going to be a key area to differentiate stuff, especially flagships. People don't want to buy a flagship phone that only lasts them for a year or two, except a vanishingly small group of people who just upgrade every year and, and trade in the old model. But that's a very small niche, and it's, you don't really want to chase them. Um, people want to buy a flagship phone that lasts them for at least three years, really, and they want software support during that time. And if you're not going to offer that, you're going to really struggle, I think, especially when you're a company that's already got a shaky software record right now because you haven't been making phones with Google for two years. Mm. Um, anyway, let's turn to the hardware, which is impressive. And I, I, you know, the software side of this all has me very concerned, but the hardware looks genuinely quite exciting. Um, even the base mm. Magic 3, which I said 900 euros, you're getting a Snapdragon 888, you're getting a curved 120 hertz OLED, triple rear camera where you've got a 50 megapixel uh, main shooter oddly a 64 megapixel mono which is an odd pairing and then a 13 megapixel ultra wide um, and then 4600 million power battery 66 watt wire charging though no wireless which is again a little hesitant at this price and ip54 rating um, so the magic 3 looks solid the jump to the pro looks more convincing because at that point you suddenly get wireless charging thrown in at 50 watts. You get a 64 megapixel periscope with 3.5 times zoom. You get a bump to um, IP68 rather than IP54. And you get some slight RAM and storage upgrades. So that 200 euros actually gets you a lot. Um, and I think that really feels like the sweet spot in this range. If you want to go all the way up to the Pro Plus, Everything is going to stay mostly the same. You're getting a ceramic body, whereas it's glass or vegan leather on the regular and the pro. Uh, ceramic finish. You're getting a slightly redesigned camera module. The camera module on the others is these big circles with all lenses dotted in. The Pro Plus, it's a sort of squidgy, rounded hexagon. Mm. Uh, I do not like it. <laughs> Someone out there must. I do not think the Pro Plus looks very nice, I've got to be honest. I'm sure the ceramic finish is lovely, but the uh, the, the squirkly hexagon does absolutely nothing for me. Um, then you're just getting a couple of camera upgrades. The 30 megapixel ultra-wide becomes a 64 megapixel ultra-wide. And the 50 megapixel main lens gets a bump to a larger sensor, still 50 megapixel. Um, even there, though, it's worth noting you know, a lot of these numbers are very impressive, but that 54 meg sensor, this is the larger one on the Pro Plus, is the IMX700, which is actually a little long in the tooth now. So that was in the Honor 30 Pro mm. Plus a while ago. It was in the some of the Mate 40s um, and I think even the P40s. So this is not a brand new sensor by any means, and it's kind of the big upgrade for their, their 1500 euro phone. I wonder whether this is a, a kind of OnePlus situation where they use the same sensor for longer than you'd expect because they're already au fait with like the workflow totally. mm. and they're just trying to get more out of the existing yep. hardware rather than trying to learn a whole new May well sensor. Be. And, and this is still a good sensor. I, I don't want to, that, that to sound like I'm, I'm sort of ragging it too much. It's, it's going to be very impressive. It was very impressive on those phones. Um, on paper, this looks like a great camera setup. And that is one area where software-wise, Honor has always been very strong because... To some extent, they've been getting that software now from, from Huawei, to be fair. Mm. But Honor phones have usually punched above their weight in camera performance, at least in my experience. And now they're matching it with a very impressive hardware suite of lenses, which I can see this being, from a hardware perspective, a very compelling offering for a lot of people. 
Yeah, just just on a design point of view, going back to the the, the Pro Plus, it strikes me that that um, Honor is still its design is still kind of in the mold of Huawei. It still hasn't hasn't had enough time to kind of come up with like yes. design language of its own. So then, with this Pro Plus, it's gone tried to do, have some sort of differentiating <laughs> factor, and it's gone something which we've never seen before. But there's probably a reason for that because it's kind of so out there, and most people won't won't like it, and it'll but it'll get attention. Um, totally. But it feels like they just need a bit more time, and as I said before, to kind of go for more affordable handsets before. I, I, yeah. I actually had a very it similar thought reputation. on the design language, which because yeah, I think we've spoken before. These phones probably began development under Huawei. I think given the life cycle of this stuff, these probably began when Honor was a Huawei company, and that will be why they still look quite Huawei in their design language and it will take time for honor to carve out its own visual identity and we start to see more phones that have been you know built beginning to end as an independent company but i have the same thought that it looks like they had all that work done that they stuck with for the for the three and the three pro and then they thought we've got to do something that's that's ours that's new <laughs> and that's what happened with the pro plus we're like well we, we've got this base it's still got to be roughly this but we can sort of you know fudge the lines a bit around the edge and throw some racing stripes <laughs> on the back and now it's you know it's ours it's unique now oh, it's 1500 years i mean it is unique <laughs> but it's not for me at least it, it screams uh, either uh, Poco X3 mm-hmm. NFC, so super affordable phone, or the Huawei Mate 40 Pro Porsche RS, mm-hmm. whatever the name of that one is, which had that, it, I think it was an octagonal camera arrangement, but it was, yep. I mean, it could be cousins, <laughs> Pretty much. if not brothers. Like, uh, yeah. But yes, in any case, it's worth stating that just purely the inclusion of Google on these suddenly means they're contenders again. And this is a step up from what we've been able to see from Honor over the last couple of years because that ongoing issue with Honor and Huawei where you're always like, phenomenal hardware, but the software's just not worth it if you're in the West. Suddenly that has been fixed. You are going to get full Google services in theory. We're waiting to see what these global release plans are, but they have said Google will be included. Um, And you're going to get some sort of, you know, proper software experience that you would expect and they still seem to have the hardware to match it this looks very 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 high end as a range um i just yeah i think we have our hesitations about this as a business strategy for honor focusing here rather than the mid-range mm-hmm. and uh, they need to figure out the ongoing software support because it's been we've just seen over the last especially over the last 12 months i think almost every android brand has been pressured into a more generous update promise uh, xiaomi i would say are the last holdout of the big ones that are really still dragging their feet a bit and on what, what they guarantee. I think they deliver an okay set of updates, but they kind of, they don't guarantee you're going to get those. They won't, they won't be held to it. It's because they've made yes. too many phones. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. There's <laughs> hundreds, thousands of the things to keep updated now. Um, but yeah, I have my hesitations about this as a, as a move for honor and uh, especially the pro plus I struggle to see, yeah. how that camera can be good enough to justify the price and that price with that software promise feels and so expect it to go on sale in like december 29th yeah. and then android update to android 12 in like march next exactly. year and then... exactly um i think you know the thing we've got to look at this here is we've got to take honor at their word that they're an independent company 
And the thing is, I would always caution people not to buy the first product out the door of an independent company. You know, I, we've spoken briefly on the show before about my experience with the Nothing Ear One. I still haven't done my final review, but I've had a lot of software problems and headaches with them. That even though on paper they're phenomenal headphones for the price, there's little irritations you get from the sort of the workflow of a smaller or independent company. I have to worry that, you know, Honor's maybe just not quite there yet, but I think they are going to grow into this. And I reckon Honor's going to become a great player again. They've already pulled back a lot of Chinese market share. They, they've been touting today that they've gone from 3% back up to 14% of the market in China, which is huge growth, obviously. So I'm really optimistic because I used to love Honor phones and I really want to love Honor phones again. Um, I'm not there yet with these handsets. I was going to say, I think I think it would be good for Honor to kind of really push the idea of the ecosystem because we've spoken about how good the Magic Book laptops are and to kind of get a reason for people who are buying the laptop to also go out and buy an Honor phone. I think if they push that really heavily, that could totally. be a good effective strategy. The challenge they've got is all that stuff is from Huawei. Um, they were always in the in the Huawei ecosystem. It was the Huawei laptops and the same Huawei share tech that they were using. And mm. the Huawei and Honor yeah, ecosystem was actually the same thing. You could pair an Honor phone with a Huawei laptop and it would work nicely and that kind of thing. I don't know how much of that they've even come away from with the rights to use. Uh, it's worth okay. noting, yeah. I don't think they've released a laptop since they became independent. So we still don't know exactly mm. what their laptop situation is going to look like going forwards and what what their ecosystem is going to be now. Uh, one mm. funny note, in the press briefing I had from them, they were still using the OnePlus 8 Plus N uh, ecosystem terminology that they got oh. from Huawei. <laughs> and it, they are still Huawei, talking yeah. in terms of OnePlus 8 Plus N, where one is the phone, eight is the ring of core products around the phone, like a laptop, like a smartwatch, and <laughs> N is sort of the larger Internet of Things ecosystem. Um, so they clearly do still want to work in that way, but they're... Uh, as we said, there's little bits of goodbye, little bits of Huawei that are that are <laughs> clinging on here, and they haven't quite moved on from yet. Um, yeah. Uh, before we we jump off uh, completely, a couple sure. of comments have just come in. Uh, a good point from Dennis about the fact that there's talk of um, a forthcoming kind of iOS tweak, where device. Uh, what I'm he's saying just the uh, Apple announcement they'll be building iOS is the local scanning ability. I think he's referencing the talk of. Um, uh, iOS scanning for you know un unsavory images ah uh, yes, um, yes in your mm -hmm. camera rolls and that kind of stuff that might push people more people to Android especially if Android is going to commit so heavily to to updates yep. on the Pixel line uh, which is an interesting mm. point to make it would be interesting to see if there's any any kind of uh, weight to that come the phone's launch mm -hmm. and Android 12's release we'll have to wait and see uh, and another thing Chris uh, Barakoff has also pointed out that Motorola is another kind of offender like Xiaomi in pushing out a ton of phones and then being pretty lax on the updates. You know, we talked on the, the edge 20 uh, launch that initially they'd only said one and then they said, Oh no, actually we meant yes, two OS yes. updates in these phones lifetimes. Um, but yeah, they're apps. I would absolutely agree that they are another pretty mm -hmm. bad offender and they need to maybe rethink how they uh, approach updates and long-term support for their yeah, devices. These, uh, a lot of these brands are being dragged kicking and screaming into offering <laughs> long-term software yeah. support because it, there's just never been the pressure to before. Uh, it was always just accepted. Yeah, Apple gives you long-term support. Android just doesn't. No one does. And uh, it's, you know, to be fair, it's come from the top. It's come really from Google and Samsung both kind of saying, you know what, we will actually. We will support these phones for longer. And uh, everyone is going to have to catch up eventually, whether they like it or not. 
that is us for this <laughs> yeah. week. A bumper episode. So much tech Ooh. this week. Absolutely exhausting. We will be back at the same time next week. I can guarantee you that no one will have announced anything interesting over the last seven days and we'll have nothing to talk about next week because that is how it works. <laughs> uh, but either way, we should have just done this as a yeah. part two next week. We'll be back for a, a full <laughs> hour-long special on the CyberDog. Same time, same place. <laughs> Make sure to tune in. Uh, thank you to everyone who has been watching or listening. And remember to like and subscribe if you're here on YouTube. Bye for now. <laughs>